Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POTS patients and most lovely people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries, where we get to know someone in the POTS community and hear their story. So today we are speaking with Allie, who volunteered to share her story so that the rest of us might benefit. And I met Allie because she wrote into the podcast with some great suggestions for new episode topics that we will be using. So I reached back out to her to thank her and to ask if she would be willing to share her story with us all. And she kindly agreed. So Allie, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. I'm really happy to be here. So let's start with some basics about you. What is your age? Where are you? Where did you grow up? Give us a little intro to Allie, please. Sure. So I am 21 years old. I am practically born and raised in, it's Round Rock, Texas, but it's basically Austin, Texas. I am a student at the University of Texas, and I study English, and I actually write a blog about POTS, which has been really fun. So definitely putting my English degree to good use, I would say. Oh, great. What is the name of your blog, if you don't mind people checking it out? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. The blog is called The Unbreakable Hope, and you can find it at theunbreakablehope.com. Very nice. Very positive. Okay, so let's see. What were you like as a little kid? Let's see. I was very adventurous. For like the first five years of my life, I was practically a daredevil because I grew up with two older brothers. So I wanted to do anything that they were doing. I wanted to play any sport they were playing. I jumped off any diving board, no matter how high. I wanted to be just like my brothers. (laughs) Okay, so I guess besides adventurous, what are a couple of words or phrases that might describe you? I would definitely say creative. I grew up kind of in the arts. I learned to play the piano at five, and my grandfather played the piano, and music has just always been a really huge part of my life. I mean, gosh, I would write songs with my friends when I was six years old, and I was just always creating something. I like to do little like DIYs and crafting, and definitely very creative. How neat, how neat. Can you give us a snapshot of what your life looked like for like the last couple years up until the time POTS arrived in your life? Sure. First word that comes to mind is busy. I did a lot. I was actually a competitive swimmer for 10 years. Up until about my sophomore year of high school, I swam competitively. I grew up with a mother who was a swim coach and taught swim lessons. So I was always in the pool. I was always at swim practice. I would swim for two hours a day, sometimes twice a day. I'd have swim meets that lasted for three to four days, prelims and finals. So very active kid. And then when I was in high school, I switched to theater and I got really into musical theater and I did a lot of theater downtown. I was actually in a pre-professional company. So every Sunday after a busy week of school, I would go to rehearsal from noon to 
sometimes 8 or 9 p.m. and I would take dance lessons and voice lessons and acting lessons. So I was very busy. Definitely a busy kid. Yeah, I can also feel the energy and creativity flow out of you. (laughs) So then what was your first sign that something was wrong with your health and when? Sure. I actually got sick the summer leading up into my senior year. It felt just like a cold. I just kind of caught a virus. And then I was at rehearsal one day and I felt so tired. I had to sit down on like the steps of the set. And ever since then, I started getting sick every three weeks. I'd get some kind of upper respiratory infection. And then I went to my pediatrician. She kept testing me. Everything came back normal. So I went to an ENT. And then he finally found out that I had mono. So um, my senior year of high school was just totally taken over by mono. And so I was a singer and I was getting sick like every three weeks, always singing through gunk and horribleness. I started to get a little bit better in the spring, but um, I just never felt right again after I had mono. So what did you think was going on at the time? Like, Did it take you a while to figure out it was POTS? Oh, sorry. I guess I made this a little confusing. So I came down with mono my senior year of high school, but it was my freshman year of college when I started to get POTS symptoms. So basically, I dealt with mono for almost about a year. And then when I started to get better, I never fully recovered. And so it was freshman year of college was when I fainted for the first time. And then ever since then, the POTS symptoms came in in full force. So where and when did you first faint? What was that like? So it was right before fall break. I came down with another upper respiratory infection and I fainted in the morning getting dressed and they took me to the emergency room. And then once they released me, that's when I started dealing with nonstop cardiac symptoms, dizziness. That's when the POT symptoms really came in full force. Wow. So then how did you get diagnosed? Did that take a long time or was it nice and short and sweet? Nope, it took a very long time. Uh, It took about a year and a half, I would say. Sorry, I'm trying to think through the brain fog. I dealt with mono for about a year. And then about a year later was when I really started noticing POT symptoms. And then about a year and a half later, I finally got diagnosed with POTS. Okay, so what kinds of symptoms were you having mostly? Ever since I caught mono, I had lingering fatigue that just never really went away. I also developed some exercise intolerance, so anytime I would work out, I would feel horrible for like a day or so. And then once I fainted for the first time while I was sick with another like upper respiratory infection, that's when I started noticing the dizziness, the heart palpitations, fatigue again was constant. And then it was about six months after that. I was managing it okay for about six months, but then after that it flared up even more. And that's when I started dealing with muscle aches, constant brain fog, my sleep was atrocious. I was having insomnia. I would sleep for 13 hours sometimes and wake up even more tired. And then I also started dealing with some funny neurological symptoms. So I got finger tremors. I got numbness in my left foot. I started getting certain symptoms when I would stand, like shakiness. I had horrible gastro issues. Kind of, it feels like everything under the sun, but really that's just when everything kind of exploded. 
So were you able to stay in school or did you have to take time off or what was that like? Oh, yeah. So I somehow managed to finish the semester of my freshman year, which was when my symptoms really came in full force. But I tried to go back to school that fall and I lasted five weeks and I ended up having to withdraw. The funny thing is, is I was going to school out of state. So at this time, I wasn't going to the same school that I'm currently going to. So um, I was away from home. I was away from family. I had no support system, really, other than just some friends and really nice professors. And I was also in an entirely different degree. So I was even a musical theater major. And that is definitely hard for even healthy people. Really high energy. Really high energy. It's an exhausting but lovely craft, but it's definitely a physical feat. I tried to stay in school. I tried to change my major so I could stay in the music school, but just do something a little less physically demanding. But even then, I was actually, I was struggling to walk to class. Could hardly even walk to my bathroom some days. I was trying to walk across campus and I had a little Fitbit and my heart rate was like 170 and um, I'd have to stop, sit on benches just to try to get to class. But the funny thing is, is so I was going to school out of state and I was five minutes away from an internationally renowned dysautonomia clinic. So I could not have been in a better place. However, the issue was is that they were so packed with patients. It took so long to get an appointment that there was really nothing that anyone could do for me to keep me in school at the time. So at the time, even though my dorm room was five minutes away, it took six weeks to even get a phone call to schedule the appointment. And then that appointment was being scheduled into the next year. Oh, that's so frustrating. (laughs) It's very frustrating, but that's also just kind of the reality of these things is as much as they wanted to help me or try to squeeze me in, it's not fair to all the other patients that waited those six months. Yeah. And so a lot of these dysautonomia clinics are so swamped. They just can't take in patients in a quick timing. So um, I eventually got referred back to a doctor at home once I had decided to withdraw And it was a neurologist in Austin that wound up doing the tilt table test and officially diagnosing me. But even that took another three months. So it was a long, lengthy process. So in the meantime, what were you doing? What was going through your head? What did you think you had? What was that like? The really frustrating thing was that we were all pretty sure I had POTS. It was just getting that official diagnosis that was so challenging. You know, a lot of these doctors, they won't tell you unless they have proof. So fighting for that official diagnosis was really challenging and it was hard. I had lost so much. I had to withdraw from my major. I had to change my career plans. I lost my favorite hobby. I lost my favorite thing to do. I wasn't able to sing and dance like I used to before I got sick. And it's also just really hard to sing when you don't feel well. Singing is often an expression of joy. So that's really challenging when you don't feel well. So it was really challenging. But the one thing that got me through it was journaling. So I picked up this little writing practice and it was so helpful to just have a little space that I could just write out whatever I was feeling. It was kind of like this megaphone that I just got to scream into when I had little say in everything that was happening to me. 
writing and reading as well became a really integral part of coping with the challenges of POTS. And I always say that the stories of others helped me through the hardest chapter of my life. So just reading other people's stories, listening to podcasts of other people going through POTS or similar health challenges was really, really helpful for me. That's so interesting that you say that. You're reminding me that kind of when I was at my worst, I had totally forgotten about this, but I started really enjoying reading disaster stories because I liked hearing about people who had it worse. And so I wanted to hear about the people who were shipwrecked or the people who were stuck in a coal mine or the people who were, you know, all these horrible things. Absolutely. Anything in particular that you enjoyed reading? Yeah, I dove into memoirs. I just wanted to start reading about people who had gone through other hard things and just kind of knew how challenging life could be. It was really comforting knowing that there were people who had gone through something just as worse or even more worse than what I was going through. For them to be able to write the book and be more in the end stages, to like have that perspective to look back on the hardest times, that was really a source of strength for me, just thinking that one day I might be in a place where I can look back on all of this and write about it just like they did. Is that your plan with an English major? <laughs> yeah, I obviously would not put that past me. I would really love to write a book. I don't know. I've not come across a book about somebody with pots, so I definitely would love to get some kind of book out there to help someone. That's so cool. Okay, so let's go back because I want to keep walking sort of through the timeline in your story. So you have withdrawn from your first college and you're at home and you finally got this diagnosis. Then what? Were you able to get treatments that helped right away? Or did you have to try a bunch of things? Or So at my neurologist's office, the minute that they diagnose somebody with POTS, they give them three referrals. And the first one's to physical therapy. The second one is to a dietitian, And the third one is to a therapist because it's so mentally challenging living with a chronic condition. The biggest part of my treatment plan was physical therapy, and I was lucky enough to get referred to a physical therapy clinic that deals with neurology patients. So my physical therapists were super knowledgeable about POTS, and they had experience with POTS patients, and so that was really helpful to have. It was a huge, huge resource that was really helpful. Then did you gradually improve? So yeah, it definitely took some time. And I ended up, I got diagnosed December of 2019. And so it was too late for me to make plans for like the spring semester. So I had to just commit to taking another semester off. So I ended up taking off a year of school just to kind of focus on my health and get my feet back under me. So yeah, the first month of physical therapy was pretty rough and I hadn't met with my dietitian yet and so I wasn't taking in as much salt as I should have been because I didn't realize how much salt the doctors mean when they say eat more salt. I was also on a medication that just wasn't working for me, but you know, it took me a while to figure that out as well. So I would say it took about three months of physical therapy and some other little adjustments with diet to start noticing some significant improvements. So it took about three months, and then the summer I was well enough to take one class, so I took an online class at a community college. Oh, right, and then so this was all during the pandemic as well, because the pandemic hit about three months in, right when I started to feel a little bit better, like I was maybe able to re-enter society and get off my couch. 
the whole world shut down. Mm -hmm. So there was no outdoor world for me to return to or no normalcy for me to kind of ease back into. So I was able to go back to school in fall of 2020 because everything was online. So I was able to take, I think I took three classes online and I just did that at a community college. And at that point, I was working on transferring to a more like permanent college location for me. But overall, I would say it took about a year of physical therapy with some medication changes and diet to really notice a significant improvement of symptoms. And so how much improved are you now? Are you 50%, 80%? Like, what would you say is your comparison to how you were before? So I'm nowhere near symptom-free. I still have symptoms, but POTS does not dictate my life the way that it used to. I would say it took about a year to see a lot of physical changes, but it took about two years for me to see more mental changes of just mentally being able to cope with the condition and having symptoms every day, but not letting it kind of dictate or rule my life anymore. Wait, that's really interesting. And I expect that maybe there's some people listening who might benefit. Do you mind just talking about that a little more? So you said that it took like maybe a year to feel better physically, Mm -hmm. but maybe two years to feel better mentally. Do you mind just maybe giving more details? Yeah. I've heard some other people say that it took them about a year as well. And so for me, at the year point, I didn't feel as well as I thought I should that a lot of other people were saying that they did. I really feel like it took me about two years to kind of find myself underneath all of those symptoms and underneath a chronic condition. I think it's really easy to lose yourself within the whole medical testing, the medical world, all of the nonstop symptoms. It really, at least for me, it really dictated my life for a while and kind of really consumed my life. Do you have any idea how you broke out of that? Like, did it just happen naturally or did you have to work at it? No, so I highly recommend finding a therapist for anybody who has chronic conditions if it's economically possible for you. For me, I was able to have a therapist who went with me on this journey, so I found her in the midst of me trying to get diagnosed. So I found my therapist when I was undiagnosed, and it was so helpful having somebody I knew I could talk to about all of this and just having a space to go and talk and kind of just unload all of that baggage. And so I I really don't know where I would be without my therapist. She's fantastic and she helps me so much with the mental challenges of POTS. And I've always been kind of an anxious kid. I've been an overthinker for as long as I can remember, but POTS definitely exasperates some of that anxiety and it creates new anxieties. And I just found that my therapist has been so helpful for dealing with all of those mental challenges with living with a chronic condition. That's great. Okay, so you've mentioned your therapist and you've mentioned writing. Is there anything else that has really helped you a ton? I mean, this kind of goes along with writing, but having created a blog was really helpful for me. And it was a place where I could share writing. And I don't know about how it is for other people, but as I was going through all of this medical testing and getting diagnosed, especially as a young person, especially as a person in college, I felt really alone because when I looked around, all of my peers were 
going out partying, going to rehearsals, hanging out with friends. And um, a lot of them just couldn't grasp the concept of chronic illness, of just having an illness that's every day. And so I felt really alone and I was removed from school, so I didn't have a lot of people around me. I was spending so much time at home. But the funny thing is, is once I started writing about it and once I went a step further and started publishing my writing on my blog, so many people reached out to me on social media, through text. So I ended up getting messages from people I knew in college, in high school, even way back to middle school, telling me like, hey, I actually go through something like this too. Or, hey, I have chronic pain. I understand some of what you're talking about. And so it's been really, really cool to realize that I was never alone as I thought I was. And writing about chronic illness, but also publishing that writing just created a conversation for a lot of people my age to talk about it. That's great. Right, because I'm sure many people, they would not be able to be that vulnerable. But if somebody else goes first then they can share too, it sounds like. You know, I think statistically, it's really sad how many people who are young struggle with chronic illness or chronic pain, but it's so hard to tell from looking around because so many of us look blind. That's really cool that you did that, and I'm so happy that it paid off. Well, it was just interesting. I was going through this whole process, and I even had medical professionals tell me, like, you're too young to be dealing with a problem like this, or you're too young to have this condition. And so it was really frustrating feeling like everyone expected me to be well and healthy just because of my age. And I started this whole medical journey at 18 years old, really, because I went to college out of state. I was going through a lot of these big doctor's appointments by myself, and I was sitting alone in exam rooms having, you know, like a knowledgeable, experienced physician tell me that there's nothing wrong with me. What's really challenging is I wanted to believe them, you know, and for a while I tried to, but something in me just knew that something wasn't right. And that one little voice of truth just kept speaking up until I finally fought for answers. So so what did that do to you psychologically to be told that there was nothing wrong with you? Well, for a lot of time, I actually truly questioned if it was all in my head or if all of this was somehow some manifestation of anxiety. But the funny thing was is that I did have anxiety, but it was because of all of these symptoms that I was experiencing. It wasn't the other way around. Unfortunately, it took until things got really bad for me to realize that this is beyond just imaginary. Like, this is too big to just be something that's made up. That's what finally got me to really truly speak up and kind of learn how to advocate for myself. Although my mom was a big help. My mom's been a huge advocate for me throughout this whole medical journey. Oh, great. So is there anything that you know now about living with POTS that you wish you had known sooner? When I was at the beginning of my POTS journey, the symptoms were so debilitating that they felt kind of impossible to live with. I didn't realize how many activities require standing until I could no longer stand. So all of a sudden, showering was hard, brushing my teeth was hard, just standing and cooking a meal at the stove was hard. And so I wish I knew, though, that as impossible as it seems, small changes can really add up to huge improvements. 
I would tell the me who was freshly diagnosed that it seems crazy and impossible, but with time, somehow you will learn how to live and thrive with this seemingly impossible condition. Would you say that you are living and thriving with it now? I am. I feel like if I were to have to gauge how much I've improved, I would say that now I function at about 80% as long as I stay in my little window of energy and I don't push it too hard. You know, I still have days where I can't do as much as I could the day before. It all depends on the day, but I'm going to school now. I'm, I'm actually moving out this week, so I'm going to move back into my own apartment. Congratulations! Thank you. So I finally feel like I'm learning how to function and manage this condition. Do you think there have been any silver linings to having POTS? Absolutely. I think that the perspective that POTS has given me makes my life so much richer and more meaningful. I truly appreciate all the little things now so much more than I did before. That's great. And so mature. That's, that's wonderful. Are you up for doing a speed round that we know is a little bit cruel to do to anybody with brain fog, <laughs> but you just say the first thing that comes to your mind? <laughs> I would love to do a speed round. Perfect. What is your favorite way to get salt? Pumpkin seeds. Oh, nice. What drink do you find the most hydrating? Liquid IV for sure. What is your favorite time of the day and why? I gotta say, I think it's sunsets, and it's because I started this tradition when I was in college and I was sick and not feeling well, where um, any time I was lying in bed and I saw the sunset, I would just stop whatever I was doing, pause whatever I was watching, and I would just sit and let myself watch the sunset and just appreciate that beauty for even just 10 seconds. And it was really just kind of this mental escape just to sit and forget about whatever I was feeling or going through at the time. How nice. How many doctors do you think you have seen for POTS? Oh gosh, I'd say about 20 in total, and that's not really counting ER doctors, but about 20, yeah. How many other POTS patients have you ever met face-to-face -face in person? Ooh, I think only two. What is one word that describes what it's like living with chronic illness? Oof. Is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> it can be if you say this. <laughs> My word is oof. <laughs> That's a good one. What is a piece of good advice anyone ever gave you about anything? My physical therapist once told me that POTS recovery is a marathon and not a sprint. And that was super helpful for me, just to realize that I'm allowed to take things slowly and that those small changes can add up in the long run. That's great. What is something small or inexpensive that brings you comfort or joy? Something small that brings me joy is my grandmother's chihuahua, and his name is Small. <laughs> That's very cute. What is something that you are proud of? You know, I'm proud of myself for living two years with POTS and for rebuilding my life after that and just not letting a chronic condition stop me. Yeah, you know, just in talking to you, I'm proud of you because I can tell that you had to give up some aspects of your life that you love so much. And maybe they're not gone forever. I hope they're not. But it seems like you're doing an amazing job charging on with a ton of positivity, embracing the stuff that you can do. Thank That's you. amazing. Okay, next question. Who is somebody that you admire and why? 
I admire you for creating this podcast and for using your experience with POTS to help other people with POTS. Well, you are very kind. And I have to give a shout out. There's a lot of people who help make this podcast at Standing Up to POTS. So I don't want to get more credit than I deserve. But you know what? I think that I'm a much happier person since using my experiences to try to make it better for other people. And I suspect that's why a lot of other people volunteer. And is that why you do a blog? Do you feel like helping other people with your blog also helps you? It does. I find that it's so healing to tell stories. I find that writing is one of the most healing, empowering things because it really allows me to kind of reclaim the narrative. And also, it's so comforting to me every time somebody says, I read what you wrote and I felt the exact same way. And it's so funny how something done in solitude can eventually reach so many people and connect and to really make a lasting impact. I think we all need each other's stories to stay strong. So tell me, do you write when you have brain fog or do you avoid writing when you have brain fog? And if you do, is your writing different at those times? Yeah, it kind of depends. I do try to write every day, even if it's just for myself and my little journal. But it's definitely challenging dealing with brain fog because it's so frustrating to not have that clarity, that thinking clarity. But uh, it just kind of depends. I am an English major and I have to write a lot of papers. So I do inevitably wind up writing through some brain fog. But on big writing days, when I have a big paper due or something, I try to do what I can to prevent the brain fog. My best writing position is on the couch with my feet elevated. And I can actually think that way. So that's definitely my favorite writing spot. That's great. What is the toughest thing about POTS? I was really surprised to learn that, for me at least, the toughest part of POTS wasn't even the physical challenge, but the mental challenge of dealing with the isolation of illness, just the loss that illness brings. I think POTS particularly is kind of a series of losses because you lose big things, but you also lose small things all the time. For a while, it only took like a large lunch or a hot day for me to lose the ability to walk or to make my dinner that night. So I think it's really challenging dealing with that grief over the big things, but also those little things, those little losses all the time. Right. And I, I like the way you say that, because I think another thing about those little losses is that sometimes it can feel relentless and constant. So like you say, it's the mental thing, like not being able to cook one dinner is not a big deal. But on top of a day that had 20 other things, it's like, come on, and now I can't stand up to cook dinner. So that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Tell us something unique or weird that you're good at that we haven't already discussed. Ooh, I'm really good at wiggling my ears, if that counts. <laughs> that definitely counts. That's wonderful. Sorry, podcast listeners who can't <laughs> see this right now, but... Oh, I can vouch. <laughs> what is a gift that you would have sent to every POTS patient in the world if you were Oprah and had infinite funds? I think I would send them all portable salt shakers because I just got one for Christmas and it's fantastic. Oh, very nice. Okay. What is something that you are grateful for? I'm really grateful for my mom. She's been my advocate throughout this whole POTS journey. 
she basically went through it all with me. She went through a lot of doctor's appointments with me. And she helped fight to get me a diagnosis, which was not an easy feat. I'm so grateful for the way that she continues to help me with POTS. And she's always researching things for me. And she helps me even just the small things of like going to grab my hairbrush that I left upstairs and don't want to walk all the way upstairs to go get. She's just fantastic. She's like superwoman. Oh, yay, mom. And can you finish this sentence? People might suspect I'm a potsy when... When I'm lying on the floor with my feet up against the wall, which is my favorite position of all time. (laughs) I can relate. So I just have a couple more questions. What do you wish more people knew about POTS? I wish they knew that it's a lot more than just dizziness or just heart palpitations, that it truly affects almost every part of the body and that even though it's invisible, it's incredibly debilitating. Yeah, you know, that's my pet peeve too. I always like to say that POTS is named for its least bothersome symptom and it's very frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you would want to say to your fellow POTS patients out there who might be listening? I would say that the human capacity to adapt is truly incredible, but that adaptation takes time. So we're all living with our own individualized timelines. And I think the best thing you could do for yourself is to try not to compare your recovery or management or healing journey with anybody else's. And just give yourself and your body time because I really do believe that recovery and management and learning how to live with a really complex condition, just it takes time. And the best thing you could give yourself is time. You know, you just reminded me of by saying that I think those are really wise words about you know, basically don't put pressure on yourself to compare to someone else's timeline or to be on a deadline. And it reminded me that in the willpower literature around food, people who are feeling guilty for what they just ate have less good willpower going forward because stress never helps, right? Putting pressure on yourself. And they find that people who have more self-compassion and put less pressure on themselves actually do better at reaching some of their goals. And I wonder if that applies to when we put pressure on ourselves to kind of heal and improve our health. Okay, so last question. Why did you agree to let us share your story today? Like I said earlier, It was the stories of others who helped me through the hardest part of my life. So I think the biggest source of strength that we have, it's in our stories. And so I just wanted to kind of pay it forward to all the other people who shared their stories and helped me through those really hard days before I got diagnosed and even after I got diagnosed, just by sharing my story and just contributing to that larger narrative. That's so wonderful. I love the way you said that. So, Ali, thank you for sharing your story and your insights with us. We really appreciate it. And I know that everybody listening wishes the best going forward to you. And hey, listeners, remember, this is not medical, dental, spiritual, relationship, fashion, or menu advice. Consult your medical team about what's right for you. Please consider subscribing because it helps us get found by more people like you. But thank you for listening. Remember you're not alone and please join us again soon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, www.standinguptopots.org slash podcast. And I would add, 
If you have any ideas or topics you'd like to suggest, send them in. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots.